0: Welcome to a special arts interchange. This is Punk Rock 101 with special guest Paul Maher. I'm Doug Storm. Our opening song features our guest on vocals. This is Civilization's Dying by the Zero Boys. 17-year-old Paul Mayhern fronted the punk rock band the zero boys formed in Indianapolis in 1979 Their first full-length album was vicious circle moving on from performing to producing Mayhern became and is among many things a rock and pop record producer mixing and Mastering engineer and a singer and songwriter. He's also a professor and yoga teacher and you may hear a few yoga terms sprinkled throughout this conversation as a producer, Mayhern has worked with acts such as John Mellencamp, Iggy Pop, Willie Nelson, Afghan Wigs, Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band, Magnolia Electric Company, and Neil Young, among many others. And now, Punk Rock 101 with Paul Mayhern, an Arts Interchange special on WFHV. Uh, well, let's just dive in, shall we? Sure. Um, so, uh, uh, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about, um, punk music as a, a genre in the first place? What, what makes punk punk, I suppose?
1: Well, uh, there's, as far as the musical, like punk rock, the rock part is, you know, it's familiar. It's, it's aggressive. It's rock and roll. It's usually pretty 4-4 uh stylistically what makes it punk is it's usually pretty aggressive the guitars are usually pretty overdriven it's usually pretty minimalistic harmonically um and it's pretty quick you know mm-hmm. as far as the the tempo goes it's really basic rock and roll music kind of amped up okay uh and then the punk you know the punk part also is you know just like kind of the attitude you know it's it's cynical uh it's sarcastic it's political it's aggressive it's it can be angry it can be funny um but it's definitely uh likes to take poke fun of itself as well as everything around it Mm -hmm. it doesn't take itself too seriously when it's done right even when it's dealing with a very serious topic it looks at those topics you know kind of with a side eye Mm -hmm. you know in looking at the history of punk rock, it has an
0: origination. It has a beginning and an end, of <clears throat> some some sort. Is there an end to punk rock? Or
1: no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, and in the beginning, you know, I think that punk rock is really war drums. It's you know dancing around the fire until you pass out. <laughs> you know, it's 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 tribal mm. music. Um, it comes from a place. It comes from the naval center and also from the heart center. You know, it's it's very. It's, it's just real, you know, it's like real life. Um, so, you know, punk rock, where that starts, that's, that's a debate um, among a lot of my friends. Um, I would say that, you know, the time somewhere in the 60s, the mid 60s, where, or even early 60s, where we start to see garage rock mm-hmm. happening, um, the kind of really basic kind of fuzzed out garage rock, Stuff like surfing Bird. Oh, well
2: about the bird. The bird, 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 bird. The bird's
1: You know the Sonics and the Thirteenth Floor Elevators and stuff like that. I think that that's all punk rock. Mm -hmm. You know, it's they're saying things in songs that are not—they're not love songs. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're sometimes they're political songs. Sometimes they're songs about girls. But even when they're about girls, it's it's not necessarily a sweet love song. You know, it's more frustration.
0: Yeah, so the the sensibility is one that comes out of not necessarily wanting to be a commercial
1: artist. It's uh when it's done honestly, it's such a self-expression that it's not really thinking about tomorrow, it's really in the moment. So there's a lot there's not as much calculation that's going on there. Um it's not necessarily uh the best song craft and that's not really what's important to the mm-hmm, players. Mm-hmm. For a long, long time, you could assume that if you were going to see a punk band that you were you know, dealing with musicians whose primary interest was just to have fun and express themselves through the music. Mm-hmm. Because there was really no real commercial success mm-hmm. for a punk band. There was no example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think that there have been major labels that have tried to capitalize on punk music as as early as... You know, with the Stooges and the MC5 and the uh, certainly with the New York Dolls and the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. All these bands were on major labels, you know, with m- major record companies trying to make money off of them. Mm-hmm. Mostly that all failed. Eventually, uh, Nirvana happened. Mm-hmm. And once Nirvana happened, there was real money in it. <coughs> So the the landscape kind of changed, especially there for a bit of time where you had, you did have kind of calculated um, writing performance uh, where people felt like they were actually trying to make some money, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like the the things became more formulaic um, and uh, maybe because of that a little less honest, but at no time did the garage Uh, punks and the basement dwelling punks they never went away
0: Nirvana is an interesting like uh, uh, I guess point to try to um, distinguish again the commercial aspect of what becomes a a kind of movement in itself that is commercialized and to wonder how things become commercialized you know how it becomes that uh, grunge or Seattle grunge or whatnot becomes something that's commercial while Punk rock is not. Is it, is it how the music is played? Is it themes uh, themes of Seattle grunge that's important to the '90s? Uh, the anti Reagan grunge or what? Yeah. Is, what is? Is it political? What's what's it, going on?
1: No, well, I think that first of all, I think that you know, there's a time and a place for everything. True. You know, there's a there's a moment where. You know, commerce will intersect with any partic- particular artistic movement. Mm-hmm. And when that's going to happen, we don't know, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so there's many factors involved there. What, you know, if you look at Nirvana and what they were doing stylistically was not necessarily so original. You can, you can definitely chart it back to other bands that were even happening right around the same time. Uh, they just put it together really well, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it just had that kind of pop impact mm. and it just worked nobody thought it was going to work it wasn't kurt cobain's fault that it became you know he <laughs> right. commercialized right. you know aggressive right. punk rock music it just it just happened mm-hmm. and it was unexpected um it's it's what happens after that when you have a bunch of bands that sound like nirvana sure, you know sure. or in the case of a band like Green Day, where they kind of take a particular style of punk rock that's kind of popish, and what they do with it is quite original on the first couple of records, and then, you know, everybody sees, wow, this is how you can make some money, and mm-hmm. then you get bands like Blink-182, who mm-hmm. sound a lot like that, who are using the same kind of harmonic formula, melodic formula, um, and then you have this genre of pop punk that eventually leads to like mall punk and hot topic and you know all that and people are trying to make money because people like to make money you know (laughs) i don't blame anybody for that (laughs) whatever right right right
0: that's what happens Mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay this is doug storm you're listening to punk rock 101 a special 90 minute interchange with punk rocker and punk rock history instructor Paul Mayher. Named the 15th most influential Indiana musician of all time by the Indianapolis Star. Well, uh, you used the phrase, what happens after that. It's an interesting one because I think I was reading, it may have been a Ramones quote of uh, one of the, 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 you know, self-named Ramones saying something to the effect that, you know, after... Mm-hmm. Um, that music had become again more of a template, you know, uh, trying to follow Jimi Hendrix and start to noodle and make noise in a certain way and be, be, you know, be a guitar rock master in some sense. And then after that, that punk, or at least in his formulation, needed to be doing other things that you mm-hmm. know, to try to react against, uh, a uh, a music style that was just trying to copy a hard guitar or a guitar Mm -hmm. master like Hendrix or, I don't know, maybe Led Zeppelin as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So music had become, you know, very progressive uh, and the topics of the songs became more expansive and fantastic. And I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of progressive rock music. Mm -hmm. I see how it informed bands like the Ramones and the Sex Pistols to go in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody recently told me that that punk rock was, uh, to rock was kind of like how operetta is to opera. no idea that that was the case, but apparently it's like, it's like, it's a satirical look mm-hmm. at and a reaction to mm-hmm. the overblownness of like progressive rock and where rock and roll was heading mm-hmm. at gotcha. that particular moment. Um, you know, the, it's, it's like if everybody's going down one hallway mm-hmm. and then there's all this other playing field available, people will tend to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the Ramones are extremely formulaic. They were just taking... You know, girl group songs mm. and like this, this kind of more of a '50s approach to minimalistic rock and mm. stuff like that, and um, and s- and then adding this kind of at the time a modern twist to to the the whole thing by kind of acknowledging that society was kind of in a dead end, mm. uh, and I think that it's really important when you're talking about punk rock in particular is to look at like what's going on. Um, economically and socially in mm-hmm. any of these places where it springs up mm-hmm. and in new york in the 70s it was it was a rat infested hellhole mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's where those guys grew up mm-hmm. and that's what they were reflecting and they were making fun of it and then writing songs about sniffing glue and- One, two,
2: three, four. now i want us to sunglasses now i want to have to do. all the kids want us to sunglasses all the kids want something to understand. What you
0: mentioning uh, again the end of civilization in some sense you are a punk rocker yourself or had been right uh, oh i so, definitely am yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, i will always okay, be okay. and for many lifetimes. Time yeah, okay <laughs> okay <laughs> so uh yeah the, the the one song that i knew of yours actually not knowing you uh, was uh, the civilization uh, the civilization's dying song uh-huh. uh, and um that's from your uh first album yeah um vicious circle is that right? mm-hmm. uh so what you are you are a person that has made punk rock who who thinks uh, i suppose in those terms as well, but you were pretty young at the time right seventeen ish yeah I think i was seventeen I so do, you know was do you find yourself uh, sort of sort of characteristic of a punk rocker in that sense you know at, at the time of youth you, you there is there angst in your life or are you trying to comment? uh on on the culture uh, around you or as much as what's happening
1: in your personal life as well both i think that uh i was never somebody who was real deeply into like the political lyrical approach mm-hmm. more like social political politics mm-hmm. uh so that song in particular, Civilization's Dying, it's about uh it's I guess it's about gun control. Mm. Mostly it's about, you know, the Pope had recently been shot and Reagan had been shot and John Lennon was killed. Um and so it was topical at the time and it was catchy. Mm-hmm. It worked mm-hmm. with the chords, you know. Mm-hmm. I I think it was it was a bit snotty. But it's it's still it's a topic that's still Topical, mm-hmm. you No, know? oh,
0: sure, sure. Well, uh, did you find your, uh, your youth, in, this is Indianapolis at the time, mm-hmm. uh, um, was, you know, when you talk about the music springing out of its place, did you have that same sense of your own uh, geographical moment? Uh, did Indianapolis have, you know, a punk moment, a punk feel at the time? Or was it just you after having listened to <clears throat> punk music?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that I might be kind of one of the I, w- I did I lived in the inner city and I went to an inner city school mm. and uh, It was definitely uh, lower middle class there was a lot of racial tension. It was a school of uh, five thousand people and it was exactly half black and half white and there was riots twice a year mm. and one at one point there was a cross that was burned in the courtyard and so there was a lot of tension. Uh, in it. And there was also a lot of just, it felt really dead end. I knew a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, kids that were heavily into drugs and weren't going to school. And it it just felt like what was the point of going to school. Mm -hmm. Um, but I come from a, a middle class family. I come from an Irish Catholic family. That's a, a very healthy, uh, family with lots of brothers and sisters. So I came from a place of a lot. I had a lot of support. Mm -hmm. Like my mother completely supported me being a musician and writing songs and practicing in our basement. And I know it drove her absolutely nuts. So so I, I had a place of support. And also a big thing that influenced me was that you know, everybody knew who Kiss and Aerosmith were and Black right. Sabbath and stuff, but nobody, uh, none of the people at my school knew who the Sex Pistols were. Mm-hmm. So there was a, I felt like I was in a very exclusive club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I was reacting definitely to my own environment, but I was also reacting to the records that I was buying. Mm-hmm. You know, I was mm-hmm. responding to what I was hearing on records. Mm. Well,
0: you, you mentioned multiple uh, groups there that, uh, that were commercial artists or a commercial success. Um, and the idea of punk rock being sort of under the radar or, or underground or, you know, a, a sub group of something, you know, that there's, this is part of its allure, part of its excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as you say before, part of being in the know, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is, is, is what punk rock is about also. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, cynical, uh, satirical, uh, a little bit to the side is <clears> the is the punk rock ethos in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. So it allows you to both be uh, against things, but also really a part of your own tribe and and in sort of how you comment on
1: things. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Support for Interchange comes from the Uptown Cafe, established in 1976, located at 102 East Kirkwood Avenue, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as well as wine, beer, spirits, and cocktails. More information is available online at the-uptowncafe.com. Let's let's start a little bit um, about when we talk about the history of punk. You you you've been studying this. You've
1: got uh, you've got a, a class. You're 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 actually teaching this this fall. Is that right? That's right. So fall of 2018, I'm going to start teaching a class at the for the Jacobs School of Music at mm-hmm. Indiana University. Uh, at the class, I think Z320. Mm-hmm. It happens Tuesday and Thursday evenings. Uh, 7.15 to 8.30, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it, it's, it's been great. It's uh, I had a good friend, uh, two good friends, Glenn Gass and Andy Holland, who both teach there. They teach history of rock. They teach okay. uh, history of blues, mm-hmm. some individual artist classes. Um, they approached me because they were interested in having somebody else come in and teach more classes. And this seemed like the most obvious mm-hmm. thing. This is what I know the most about. Uh, so yeah, so the, I've, I have spent the last month or so kind of, Combing through the knowledge that I already had and then piecing together the stuff that i didn't know mm. i'm not i mean i'm a punk rock fan, I would say i'm a punk rock critic on some level i'm a punk rocker i'm not a punk historian, mm. you know, mm. so that's been the the part of it that's been a little trickier it's like, okay, what am I missing you right. know it's like so there's this really rich Australian scene that really mm. dates all the way back to the beginning, and there's some great stuff that 's happening now. I know very little about that, right. so I've got to educate myself about that mm. sort of thing. You
0: Did know? you find, when you do that kind of research, that, like most things, uh, there there are companion movements in places that you wouldn't have thought of or because, you know, you're an American and, mm-hmm. and you have American thoughts for the most part. Mm-hmm. But punk uh, bridges the, the I guess, the ocean with, with Britain in particular. But outside of Australia, do you, are you finding lots of other places that have similar kinds of responses to uh, political eras or yeah, social
1: yeah. issues? It's, it's universal. It's everywhere um, and it's universal. Wherever there are young people who are frustrated with what's going on right, in their lives, right. they're they're going to be playing some version of punk rock music, um, and I knew that you know as a as an American hardcore musician and following bands through magazines like Maximum Rock and Roll and Flipside, there were international mm-hmm, sections mm-hmm. of those magazines, and um, I had uh, the great good fortune of recording a band in 1983 from Italy called Raw Power. record in Indianapolis, because they were touring, and a friend asked me to do it. Um, And it's still one of my favorite records I've ever made. And when we go out and play, almost at every show, somebody will come up and say, hey, the best thing that you ever did was record this record. So the idea of like international punk has always been there. Um, But studying for this class, I I did come across uh, a band from Lima, Peru, who made a record in 1964 called Dimalay and uh it, the band is called los psychos mm-hmm. and it's amazing proto-punk i mean it really has it all it's like garage rock but um the singer is a bit like john Lydon from the sex pistols mm-hmm. and it's about blowing up a train station right. i mean it really is in my opinion in the running for first fully developed punk rock song okay. Not from the United States. Right. Not from the Peru, UK. Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. You know, I'm a recordist. So that's the great thing about recorded music. It's like eventually it all rises to the top. Right. The really good stuff mm-hmm. will eventually cross yeah. your path. People will listen to
0: it and share it. And- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So Peru, that's 1964. I think the 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 lyrics as as, uh, as simple as they may be, I suppose, were let's destroy the train station. Yeah. Let's destroy the tra- train station. Uh-huh. Over and over again. demolish.
1: <laughs> right, right. That's all you need, man. <laughs> right, right. It's beautiful. Right,
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> Echemos la bajo la estación de tren, de moler, de mole, la estación de tren, de mole, la estación de tres. Ta, 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 ya, ay, ay, gusta volar, estación de letre, de volé, revolé, 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 conta volar, estación de tres.
0: Again, and I'm I'm just saying this from being not a listener for the most part. Like for me, the the only punk I had any experience of at all would have been, uh, I guess, what seems a fairly tame version, the Clash. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to understand, you know, the difference between punk and new wave, and mm-hmm. you know, where they sort of happen at the same time. And and you know, I'm a child of the '80s, so I'm kind of. I missed it in some sense, Mm -hmm, not because I didn't want to necessarily. I listened to the radio; my radio was pop music. That's right. And you really have to almost have a brother, sister, friend give you some information Mm -hmm. about a different kind of music, otherwise you weren't gonna you weren't gonna find it, you weren't gonna
1: experience it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make a great point. The older brother or sister is pretty key Mm -hmm, to any mm -hmm. record collection. I think it's really it makes a big difference. Right. right. Um, I definitely had. older brothers and sisters that were mostly playing Beatles records and Rolling Stones records. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was, I was into records almost right away, mm-hmm. you know, and then, but I was always into the harder stuff that they had. And then as sort of, I started my own record collection. Right. That's the direction that I went in. Right. Right. Mm. Um, as far as people uh, making money and or wanting to make money, I, d- I just don't think that when you're young and you're doing it and you're doing it, honestly, I don't think it's a concern. Right. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't want to. It's just (laughs) not what your motivation (laughs) is, you know, it's like when you sit down and to write a song, I don't care what style of music it is. If you sit down and you go like, we're going to write a pop song, a hit song, you're stacking the chips against yourself unless you're, you know, one of those people from the Brill Building, you know, you know, it's like who, who are working in tandem and working really hard to not only create something that's pop, but also brilliant. Right. Um, most of pop music, the formulaic pop music of the day, the stuff that's written to get on the radio, is just the worst music.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's industrial in a lot of ways, right? It's it's formed of of as you as you mentioned, real building, and we can talk about Nashville's music row. We can talk about just the ways in which it's been industrialized in production as well. You know? uh-huh. So you don't get garage bands making music organically we might say now right you get people laying down tracks and sharing you know and, and other people coming in and, and doing parts of a track and other people coming in and doing parts of a track and then mixing them all together yeah yeah that's you that's, know this
1: of course i, I know From this. Your, your
0: own work I, I assume on some level you know this as part of a, a production process
1: uh-huh it, it doesn't matter any a great song can be made any any way sure it can even be made within the machine Um, There's just so much room to play Mm -hmm. within the pop format um, that – and that there's a lot of stuff that's just not happening. You know, Mm -hmm. it feels like it gets more narrow uh, melodically. Everything is very narrow. Mm -hmm. You know, the sounds of the voices, you know, the kind of people that get hired to sing these songs. Mm -hmm. It just seems like – it seems super formulaic in comparison to – to past pop music, yeah. um, so we're but that doesn't mean that there's not other great music that's sure, being made. A sure. lot of the stuff that you guys play here on this station course, is yeah, just yeah. like right. packed full of beauty. Right. Um, right. But uh, unfortunately, um, not getting the kind of uh, commercial airplay maybe yeah. that it deserves. This is Doug Storm. You're listening to
0: Punk Rock 101. <laughs> A special 90-minute interchange with punk rocker and punk rock history instructor, Paul Maher, named the 15th most influential Indiana musician of all time by the Indianapolis Star. Yeah, well, you speak to a point that I think we make frequently here as well, is that uh, things like Facebook, things like social media that, that do do the work of narrowing for predictable for predictability reasons right Mm -hmm. so you want people to act a particular way you work really hard to control what goes into their heads uh part of pop music to me is that you know that aspect of commercialization that has become this sound will make money this kind of uh, tempo will make money, this kind of beat will make money. You can only have, you have to have a hook every seven seconds or something, uh-huh. <laughs> some sort of formula like that, right? So right. it seems to me part of the same ethos at this point, you know, we're we're trying to create a, a very clear purchase point and a very clear and narrow thought process for most people in music as well as anything else, I think, at this point. So we need punk music, punk rock maybe more than anything else at this point, it seems to me.
1: Yeah, well, I would agree with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, there's it's it's possible for great songs to still become hits, but it's mm-hmm. it seems like few and far between. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so in your musical history, you you start out there in
0: Lima, Peru. Um, where do you go from there?
1: Well, in the class, you know, we start with the kind of proto-punk, the '60s garage proto-punk stuff. And then we move uh, to the Detroit proto-punk mm-hmm. scene, so the Stooges and the MC5. Mm-hmm. Uh, and- so what's proto-punk mean? It's just pre-punk at that point, or it hasn't yeah. quite b-
0: become what, how you define punk, or is it still yeah. left behind in some other part
1: of music it's coming out of, or...? See, the thing is, is the term punk mm-hmm. really doesn't come along until sometime in the mid to late, s- mid-70s. Okay. So, I'll call something proto-punk just because they weren't calling themselves punks. Gotcha. You know? Sure. Um, so, okay. that's, that's how I define okay. it. Okay, okay. Uh, and then you know, after we get through the Detroit scene, then I also take a look at kind of the European proto punk stuff, like the glam stuff mm-hmm. and the kraut rock stuff, all this stuff that kind of informs definitely the minimalistic aspect of punk and certainly kind of the new wave aspect of punk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we we end up in New York in the early to mid 70s, uh, and Start to look at that whole CBGB scene, mm-hmm. and then we spend a whole day on – our whole class, at least one on the Ramones, because they're a real key mm-hmm. factor. Mm-hmm. They produce so much great stuff between – I cover them pretty much between 76 and 80. Okay. Uh, and then we go and we look at the – what's going on in England, mm-hmm. which is pretty much happening at the same time. Um, and then uh, we – we get to the Sex Pistols, and I believe that the Sex Pistols are like the epicenter of, of punk. Mm-hmm. I think that everything that's leading up to the Sex Pistols is kind of proto, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that everything after that is kind of a reflection. It's okay. somehow referencing, you know, mm-hmm. that scene. <laughs> crystals have it all it's like not only are they great writers and the songs are political and aggressive and the records are produced really well um but they've also got the whole fashion aspect they've got the situationist you know they got it's all right there you know it's like everything about it the packaging is is perfected in that moment and it really is you know people say like you know, well, the Sex Pistols were a boy band or whatever because they were kind of assembled. That's not really true, but in a lot of ways, they do. there was somebody there that was acknowledging that we need to look different, Mm -hmm. we need to promote this differently, and it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really brilliant. You know, for me, I was a big fan of Kiss. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Kiss, before their concerts would start, and on their live records, you hear the voice that says, you know, are you ready for the hottest band in the land? The greatest band in the land? Kiss. Right? right and right, it's like right. the sex pistols were like, we're not the greatest band in the world. We're the worst band in the world. <laughs> right? And that was you know, so right. it was like they just right. turned it around. Yeah, I'm It took me a while once I first had that uh, Nevermind the Bullocks record by The Sex Business. I okay. listened to it over and over and over again. It took me a while to figure out, no, wait a minute. That whole thing that we're the worst band, that's, they're messing with us, you, you know, because it? it's actually really well put together. It's really well thought mm-hmm. out. Um so it was like they were making fun of. of sure, of, of sure.
0: Rock. Well, you mentioned the, the the packaging, but and there is uh, there is a management aspect of that, right? So mm-hmm. there's uh, Malcolm McLaren, yeah, is the well, he's called a music impresario. I'm not exactly sure what that means. <laughs> I <don't> but. Know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, but the, he he's essential to to that package. Yeah, I would say so, absolutely. You know, he he had already managed the New York Dolls. He had his shop in London. He he was an opportunist. Uh, He kind of saw what was going on in New York and went to London and kind of took some of the style that he saw the kids Mm -hmm. in New York using and turned it into a shop. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a it's a huge part of it. And it's a huge part of um, the legacy of punk. Mm -hmm. You still see, you know. People all over Bloomington with blue hair, pink hair, or, or, uh, you know, ripped up jeans. And, you know, like stylistically, we're still experiencing some echo effect of of Malcolm McLaren's
0: thing. It's interesting. It, It obviously, as you say, I think dovetails with the commercial and capitalist impulse of, I assume, Malcolm McLaren, as opposed to people who might not have those kinds of thoughts, as you say before, artists who might be writing songs because they want to write songs and are happy to make money if, if money comes your way. But the business of it understands the the audience mm-hmm. understands who will buy this particular music versus mm-hmm. who will just uh, listen to it, or you know, let's not make this an, a a garage band audience anymore. Let's uh-huh. let's sell this thing. So yeah, yeah. There is that. There is that essential aspect of it to why it's why it has a fashion sense to it more than and why what I think that continues more than perhaps the music does although you can talk about how the music has continued
1: mm-hmm. is there a legacy of punk in the mu- in music today well there absolutely is there's mm-hmm. still a lot of punk that's going on and in my class I I cover it right up to 2018 mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. great punk bands garage bands here in Bloomington mm-hmm. you know a long history and it's it's no different there's no fewer of them than there than mm-hmm. there ever mm-hmm. were but it what you're saying about management and promotion and that part of it, that is extremely important. Um, Unfortunately, I don't understand why these, these management types who do know how to make money off of things don't understand that they need to take care of their product. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have like your Colonel Tom Parker and the way he treats Elvis. Elvis is just a kid. He just wants to shake his hips and sing some cool songs (laughs) Mm -hmm. and have a good time. The girl goes, girls go crazy. And next thing you know, you know, Colonel Tom Parker is having him do some goofy stuff mm-hmm. just to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Sex Pistols, Malcolm McLaren didn't understand uh, that it wasn't just him. You know, it was like actually, he it was a perfect storm. He had these great ideas, they had great songs, they had a, their whole thing together. Right. He thought it was him. Um, he didn't take care of them. Right. They ended up, you know, disbanding because they were poorly managed, mm-hmm. I think, mostly. Mm. Um, and then same thing with, you know, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain kills himself. It's like, you know, where was his management? Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not saying they're to blame because he killed himself, but I'm just saying that like, I see this a lot, you know, where you have business married with art and the business people are so concerned with business that they don't understand that their cash cow is slowly dying, Mm -hmm. you know, self-destructing.
0: Generally, like all other products, you can be replaced yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the the primary issue. You you mentioned the word opportunist earlier. Of course, you know business takes opportunity and then milks it. Uh-huh. And there's another opportunity coming uh-huh. almost always, right? That's yeah. the idea. That's the business idea. Anyway. Uh-huh. So you don't have to really cater or, or or take care of your business.
1: Yeah, but when you do, you have mm-hmm. the Beatles and Brian Epstein. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sure. so there's somebody who ca- sure. take care of them for years and years and years and that's right. why they have such a healthy sustained career and then as soon as he dies they implode. Mm-hmm. I mean there there is there is a way, mm-hmm. you know, for business people to work sure. with artistic people and, right. and and have healthy relationships.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that point, of course, mm-hmm. but, uh, but the the general sense of how business takes care of
1: things. It's disposable. Yeah. You know, yeah. pop music, pop musicians, it's disposable. It's built into the plan, right. especially now. Right. It's right. not right. into anybody's advantage business wise to have an artist with a really sustained career because the longer you have a career, the more you have success, the more power you have. Right. So if you can just turn the starlets over, you don't every want labor six months, to have a voice. That's right. right. You, don't right. Ha- you don't have to right. deal with it. Right. right. Exactly.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is doug storm you're listening to punk rock 101. a special 90-minute interchange with punk rocker and punk rock history instructor paul Mayer, named the 15th most influential indiana musician of all time by the indianapolis star because we have uh, chosen a few songs to kind of illustrate uh, punk for us, punk rock for us, and a history of it through, uh, through the last decades. I, this is a, a four or five decades project now, I suppose. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. um, you already mentioned the, the, the Peruvian band. I forgot the name of it. Los Secos? Los Secos. So, what's that? What does that mean? I didn't even I just look think that it up. means.
1: We could the psychos. Up. Oh, is that what it is? I think it does. I mean, I, I even tried to look it up in Google, and that's you just did basically... Google translate? It did not translate. Oh, okay. okay. It did not translate it into English. Hmm.
0: Uh, okay, so we started with them, and then on, on the list that you shared with me, and, of course, it's a much broader list I'm sure you would be dealing with, um, uh, but let's just go through the list you shared with me. So after that is the... Is the 13th a, floor elevators! <laughs> Art for Interchange comes from the Limestone Post, an independent magazine covering Bloomington and the surrounding areas. Introducing their first print edition, an art magazine dedicated to local history and sense of place, with corresponding art show and release party at the Eiffel Gallery on June 1st from 6 to 9 p.m. More information online at limestonepost.com.
1: Floor elevator, so Texas band, uh, mid to late 60s, kind of blues ish influenced rock, really aggressive. One of the greatest singers ever, Rocky Erickson. His scream is just so sublime. Um, and, you know, a band that, you know, kind of turns into real psychedelic pioneers after this particular period. This was their first single. And, you know, it's that thing, you know, it's like that kind of punk attitude, this guy is singing the song to, you know, to his girl or his ex, you're going to miss me, you know, when I'm gone, mm-hmm, you know, kind mm-hmm. of attitude. Uh, brilliant song. One of my favorites.
0: So that's a, that's a punk attitude uh, that the, you're just, you're not saying, I love you, baby. You're saying you're going to miss out.
1: Yeah. You're basically saying, I don't need anything mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm. of myself, mm-hmm. you, know? Okay. you know, which is a pretty deep spiritual concept. <laughs> but that's, I think, what it's that confidence, right, you know, right, right, it's right. not anti, it's like, I don't see that sentiment as macho, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It could be read as macho, mm. you know, because he's obviously singing to a girl. I see it as like self-confidence, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. self-confidence. I'm, I'm it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you're going to miss me.
0: Is that um like like the other songs we talked about, uh, the duration of the song is short. It's it only it's a simple song as well, mm-hmm. so it does fit your, your your own idea of punk at the time that the this song was was released I think it's sixty six or something like mm-hmm. that. Is there punk at that point? Or is that or was this proto punk?
1: Oh, that's proto-punk. Proto-punk. So, what would they have called? Would
0: they have called themselves anything, or do they were a rock and roll band? Just rock and roll at that point. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And obviously, a a thirteenth floor elevators is a good name. So, yeah. Uh-oh. All right. So uh, after that, uh, and well, you mentioned let's let's do this real quick because you mentioned psychedelic as well there uh-huh. too. So is there a confluence of that kind of music happening at, at the same time as punk as well, psychedelic, and oh, we, yeah. I, I, like I say, we move into new wave as well. So it's a is it a drug culture issue? I mean, all these things are happening at this time, right? The sixties, uh-huh. right? So uh, is that a part of the music as well? <laughs> the the sort of idea that we're past the fifties now, we got to move out of mom and dad's house or move into the garage or mm-hmm. uh, and start taking you know drugs and thinking about it or
1: <laughs> yeah it's definitely in there and it's a, a definitely a big influence especially in the 60s well all throughout punks yeah, yeah. take drugs just like sure, anybody else sure. um, but you know there are movements that are exclusive you know exclusively against drugs mm. you know like the straight edge movement of the 80s and stuff mm. but so it's not necessary But certainly anything that's kind of counterculture and, Mm -hmm. you know, drugs were really a taboo in the 60s and um, yet there was a lot of freedom and people were turning on and taking drugs for the first time. And for some people, you know, they might drop acid and they might, you know, see this, you know, the sunset and think wow everything is beautiful and perfect and others might take acid and go like war is totally screwed up right you know it's like whatever your realization is it becomes even more vivid mm-hmm. you know under the aflu- influence mm-hmm. of lsd mm-hmm. in particular the 13 floor of elevators were lsd takers okay they did not consider themselves to be druggies they didn't really drink they didn't do uh, much other drugs maybe a little bit of marijuana mm-hmm. but they ate acid mm-hmm. almost every day mm-hmm. So they were, you know, they were um, pushing themselves to the limits through their their drug
0: habits, in a Timothy Leary kind of way. They were experimenting with their their doors of perception. That's uh, right. Yeah,
1: yeah. But like, not in you know the and not in. The tea room or whatever Not hidden away These, right, these right. guys would like You know, they'd be on tour Oh, okay And they'd be playing a show On LSD Then they'd get up the next day And they'd go play On American Bandstand on LSD and then they'd go play <laughs> At a high school that night On LSD Oh, and, boy. okay You know, okay. so they were like Out in the world They were on American Bandstand? I gotta check that out it's That's gotta amazing They do that song On American, American Bandstand <laughs> It's like at a pool party So it's like outdoors At a pool party <laughs> <laughs> and they're ripped.
0: Hey, gentlemen, how are you? You have to have a lot of uh, lung power to do that.
2: Yeah, you have.
0: Gene, you can get different sounds out of it, too,
2: huh? Yeah, I can we're both pretty strong.
0: Who is the head man of the group here, gentlemen? Well, we're all heads. All right. So 13th floor elevators, ladies and gentlemen. Nice to have you with us. Okay, let's move on then to, uh, I think uh, you have Iggy Pop and the Stooges next, Raw Power.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the Stooges, I think, are really important. Um, they're from that Detroit scene, uh, you know, that also included the MC5. So this is, you know, it's raw self-expression. Um, it's, it's about political freedom. You know, it's about freedom to be who you want. Raw power to me is, is, it's about life force. It's about piranha. It's about like, you know, feeling, you know, alive, like a mm-hmm. live wire, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, almost uncontrollable.
0: Iggy Pop feels that way all the time, right? Pretty much. Look at him now, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. just like he's still yes alive. Yeah. That's the truth. <laughs> um, so this album in particular seems to be uh, fairly seminal as well, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and you mentioned Kurt Cobain before. Again, this is my Wikipedia knowledge uh, that uh, that Cobain put this as one of maybe the the favorite album, his favorite album. Yeah, of yeah. All yeah. Time. Well, he would be smart to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so one one we should all know whether we were punk aficionados or not
2: to the beat of the living dead lose sleep baby, and stay away from bed. my power is come along. Tell me
0: what to do. Support for interchange comes from the Limestone Post, an independent magazine covering Bloomington and the surrounding areas, introducing their first print edition, an art magazine dedicated to local history and sense of place, with corresponding art show and release party at the Fell Gallery on June 1st from 6 to 9 p.m. More information online at limestonepost.com. Channels, it's a, a seminal work in, in music history. Absolutely, yeah, that's, that's an, right. I, I think that's an interesting thing to think about here too. We we dismiss a lot of these things sometimes, right? In terms of this is just a, a, um, a cultural moment that isn't so historical. Or we, you know, how we sort of put these things together or write the histories of our time. It's an important part of I think how you might look at your class as well. You know, what what's happening at the time what Mm -hmm. where do these things come from Mm -hmm. why are these things
1: important at the time
0: Mm -hmm. they're not just music
1: well that's yes i think that that's absolutely true um in in reference to the stooges in particular no one sounded like the stooges Mm. beforehand and no one really sounds like the stooges afterwards there are people who certainly you know were trying that style and stuff but Mm -hmm. it's 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 so unique Mm. um and so beautiful and so unlike anything else
0: That's seventy three, right? Yeah, that sounds right. So we're moving from the sixties. Uh, we started at sixty four. We're at seventy three now. We've got a, almost a full decade uh, under our belts now, and we move to uh, New York Dolls' Trash, which is a fun. It's a fun song. It's a fun song.
2: Okay, That's right.
1: New York Dolls, you know, they're interesting. They're playing with gender identification, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. in a pretty big way. Um, but they're from New York. They're from sloppy, dirty 70s New York. So it's not necessarily like the glam bands of England, mm-hmm. you know, bands like Sweet and stuff who are also kind of wearing their mom's blouses or right, whatever, right. you know. The The Dolls are, you know, they're, they're heroin and rats running around and in high-heeled giant, you know. <laughs> yes yeah the, David Johansson right
0: yep. uh, yeah yeah mm-hmm. so the, the funny thing for again for me being not a punk music listener or really a mainstream middle of the- road guy for most of my life anyway so uh, you know this is Buster Poindexter
2: right. Try it. pick it up Take down my-
0: that's right. <laughs> right? This, uh, the, you know, he's, he's in the movie Scrooge as a taxi driver uh-huh. as well. So, you know, it's, it's hard for you know, you just kind of get lost in who people are. You know, they're, they're more than just a, a point in time, and they're more yeah, than yeah. just the one thing they did as well. Yeah. But this is, a, a, again, a, a seminal group. Uh, as as well as for what you said about um, you know playing with gender identity at the time as well, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's hard again trying to get out of your own conceptions of people and what they do is right. part of what punk does. too, yeah. right? and
1: also you know like the Stooges, I think that the New York Dolls, they're, they're like the real deal. They're like they're like no one else mm. before them.
0: Do they have an important manager also, or do you...
1: Well, I don't know who managed them before, but Malcolm McLaren managed uh, them for... He jumped in at that point. He jumped one. in, okay. like, right. <laughs> the impresario of McLaren. Uh, and dressed them all in, like, red vinyl and put a hammer and sickle gotcha. behind them, and, he, you know, he immediately tried to amp it up. Yeah,
0: well, <laughs> that's how he made money.
1: This is Doug Storm.
0: You're listening to Punk Rock 101. A special 90-minute interchange with punk rocker and punk rock history instructor, Paul Mayer, named the 15th most influential Indiana musician of all time by the Indianapolis Star. you
2: don't know what
0: So you mentioned the suite earlier. I mean, just with this group as well. So the 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 New York Dolls and the Suite are similar in some ways, or the well, they're next they're both song playing
1: is... rock and roll music, and they're both a little bit playing with make, you know makeup and lipstick, mm-hmm. and there's a, you know a similar tempo, similar somewhat glammy approach, but. The Sweet are a pop band, okay. you know. Okay. The, the New York Dolls are not a pop band. Gotcha, you know. So the Sweet, the the
0: song is "Teenage Rampage." Oh yeah, really. is that on the list? Yeah, you put that on. The list. Uh, I
1: love that a, song. Glam rock is, uh-huh.
0: is what the Sweet is, and and you wouldn't call New York Dolls glam rock.
1: I would say that they're glam ish, <laughs> punk. <laughs> okay, glam glam ish
0: punk. Know. Glam-ish punk. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Um, all right, so the the Sweet is on the list, and. um I, don't, I there wasn't really a thing that struck me about that particular group in terms of their description.
1: Yeah, so. it's just super fun. Um, I think that they had several hits. I think that there's a, the Sex Pistols definitely have a glam rock influence. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they're influenced by Bowie, but also bands like Sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so the Sweet appear in my class because of that. They're, mm-hmm. They are, you know a glam band that's also serves kind of as a proto-punk mm-hmm. English punk Sex Pistols kind of band gotcha gotcha okay that's interesting and they had hits you know sure Yeah, I'll Under right?
2: the 14 they'll be burning But there's something in the air Of which we all will be aware
0: Well, you mentioned Bowie there, too. So, um, you know, Bowie's integral in this space also, mm-hmm. right? He's also gender-bending at the time. He's he's uh, Is he producing or, or you know, um, engineering some of the music for Iggy Pop? He's uh,
1: producing Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. He's producing Lou Reed. Um, Bowie's great because not only is he a great performer and writer, but he's also a fan, mm-hmm. a real fan and a promoter of other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm. yeah, Bowie's just ex- extremely important all the way around. And, you know, legend has it, and I believe that this is true, that the Sex Pistols, the guitar player of the Sex Pistols, uh broke into a Bowie show after a sound check and stole their amplifiers, and then those ended up being the amplifiers that the Pistols used. <laughs> So, well, he had a direct impact. That's nice. That's <laughs> That's very punk. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and then it's you move necessity. on to uh, yeah, you move on to the Ramones at that point, 53rd and 3rd, orts, that's the next on our yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the Ramones are quintessential to most people's idea of punk, at least in the in the US, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Why? Well, uh because they're great. <laughs> <laughs> they write great songs. They influence Everything, you know, pretty much that comes after it, even the Sex Pistols and the Clash, Mm. you know, they're heavily influenced by the the Ramones. They showed everybody that like, look, you could do a song in two and a half minutes, you know, and it could still be really catchy. And, you know, the Ramones, when I was growing up, the Ramones were the biggest band And they were going to be huge. Mm. It was the first time I had that experience where I was following a band that I absolutely believed were the next Beatles. And they were going to be the hugest band in the world. And then watching record after record just get passed over by radio. Mm. So their fourth record, Road to Ruin, uh, is probably my top four or five records ever made. Mm. You know, it was a record I was listening to when I was 15 it's got uh, songs on it like "I Want to Be Sedated," which you probably have heard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it it should have been a huge record. Mm-hmm. Radio just blacklisted it; wouldn't didn't really play it. In some markets, in New York and L.A., they probably did, but in the Midwest, where it mattered, nobody paid any attention. Mm. It was aimed right at the radio, and it didn't work. Then their next record was produced by Phil Spector. Mm -hmm. Specifically, they went to work with him because they knew, if anybody can get us on the radio, it's going to be this guy. Mm -hmm. Again, really little to no radio play. Mm. But um, the Ramones are, are an extremely important band. They wrote really great pop songs. They had a really unique sound. They had a really unique singer. I think, um, to me, maybe uh, one of the most important rock bands of all time. Hmm. This particular song, 53rd and 3rd, is an interesting song because it's about male prostitution. mm-hmm. mm-hmm you know um which of course at the time i didn't even know that but that's the the influence of the song that's what he's singing about mm-hmm. being at 53rd and 3rd where you know the young guys would go and you know look for johns mm-hmm. to that would sleep with them or whatever so they could make a little bit of money and then go buy drugs or food or whatever they needed to to survive 53rd and 3rd, 53rd and
2: 3rd.
0: Um, so then you have the Sex Pistols we've talked about them a lot already but uh, the the song No Feelings is on your list Uh-huh
1: <laughs> So I love this song I think that Nevermind the Bullets is a perfect record. Mm. I mean, it's my favorite record ever made. Mm. You know, it's okay. it's perfect from start to finish. This particular song hit me really hard as a teenager, because you know this, you know, this, the, I've got no feelings for anybody else except for myself, <laughs> my beautiful self. Okay. I mean that goes right back to that attitude that you hear on You're Gonna Miss Me, you know? Only it's even more cynical, more sarcastic, and more humorous, you know? It's just like, screw everybody, (laughs) right? But it's very tongue-in-cheek, you know? Um, That's, it's, you know, I don't, it's not even necessarily my favorite song on the record, every single song on that record. I mean, to me, that record is a perfect record in that you know, they cover a lot of ground, um, and uh, from really deep politics to like personal politics, yeah. and yeah, for myself,
2: my
0: Support for Interchange comes from the Uptown Cafe, established in 1976. Located at 102 East Kirkwood Avenue, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as well as wine, beer, spirits, and cocktails. More information is available online at the UptownCafe.com. then you have Dead Kennedys uh, next on the list, uh, California Uber Alice. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. This
1: is great. So the Dead Kennedys, they're part of the – so after punk rock, you know, we go through the whole kind of new wave Mm -hmm. phase Mm -hmm. with bands like Blondie and stuff like that. And then, you know, punk is kind of dying. It seems to be dying now. Um, And then these American bands – come along may turn into what the what you might call the American hardcore movement okay. you know it's like it's even more punk you know, okay. so you got bands like Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and mostly it starts in California then it spreads across the country the Dead Kennedys a band from San Francisco um, brilliant band heavily into politics very funny um, I remember I grew up in I grew up in a very liberal kennedy democrat family sure, right sure, yeah so voting i've got um, brothers who were into politics state senator state representative and so my oldest brother he said you know i think it's whatever with punk rock if people want to spit on each other and stuff like that <laughs> and that that's that's weird but whatever but this kennedy's thing that's sacred i don't know so why you know right so, which I've, I thought was great. I mean, the Dead Kennedys—it's the name is about—it's referencing that period of time, you know, of like it, that, like the country is moving in one direction, right? And then the Kennedys are killed, Martin Luther King is killed, and like a lot of hope is lost. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the the name is really about this, like post-experience, you right. know. Right. But that song in particular, California Uber Alice, I just think is hilarious because it's looking at like granola hippie-ishness as some sort of form of Nazism. Mm-hmm. This song about Jerry Brown yeah. in particular. I'm Governor Jerry Brown. My aura smiles and never frowns. Soon I will be president. It's,
2: it's awesome, right? I am Governor Jerry Brown. My aura smiles and never frowns. Will control you 100% natural You will go for the master race And always wear the happy face Because your eyes can't happen here A big one white horse is near The hippies won't come back
1: And it's making fun of liberals. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not just making fun of conservatives. It's it's like and and I guarantee you Jello, you know, the singer, mm-hmm. he was a liberal. He's probably deep into right. liberalism, but he's like pointing the finger at himself and California and saying, you know, right. this is just another form of conformity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's a good song.
1: Yeah, it is a good song. <laughs> now it is night.
2: Nice. It's the suede denim secret police They have come for your uncool niece
0: Now you move into the, I think, more into the present with your last couple, right? You've got Jay, I guess, retard. Jay retard. I don't know you can say um, that to on say the radio. It. I'm gonna have to say it, right? <laughs> Jay retard uh, with my shadow, and he has he died early uh, at 29 mm-hmm. in 2010. So this is a this is a guy born in 1980 who uh, a lot of people really thought was you know fantastic and mm-hmm. would would like continue to just be great, and yeah. he uh, I assume of a, a drug overdose.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, brilliant artist. So somebody. So he's from Memphis. Mm-hmm. He starts out. He puts out his first tape or some when he's thirteen. Mm, okay. Um, and he's he's putting out records. You know, kind of one right after another. He's in a couple of other bands that are putting out records, and then he finally gets to this point where he makes a solo record and that's his first solo record. Mm. He plays everything on the record. He recorded it in his apartment and at the time he was living in Atlanta and it all comes together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really a brilliant record. It's it's a, the great the songs are great, the sounds are great, the arrangements are great. You can tell that it's somebody who's mastered his craft, mm. you know, of this really catchy punk rock and uh, I think it comes out in whatever 2007 or something like that. And yeah, everybody in in the in the punk record buying public, a lot of people really thought, okay, this guy's gonna be huge. He's like the next big thing, you know. Right. And, and and then he makes one more record and dies almost immediately. Mm.
0: Hate, I think. Is that right, or is that the compilation? Well, uh, I, I, I wanted to reference the name Teenage Hate because it's, again, a thing that, that shows up throughout, right? Teenage, mm-hmm. teenage is, 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 seems to be a, a primary sort of um, uh, ooh, like adolescence, uh, the period where you begin to become a human adult, mm-hmm. right, where you discover mom and dad may not have all the answers. That's
1: when you discover that the game is rigged. Right, right. <laughs> t- teenage is important, right? That's right.
0: Yeah, and, and that's that's a big issue here. I mean, it's a big part of this whole, I, I would think, the whole genre, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah it is.
0: Uh... This is Doug Storm. You're listening to Punk Rock 101. A special 90-minute interchange with punk rocker and punk rock history instructor, Paul Mayhert, named the 15th most influential Indiana musician of all time by the Indianapolis Star.
2: If you don't know what i'm doing what
1: you know is you know all the way back to the to the 50s and you know with the greasers and the leather jackets and the rebel without a cause mm-hmm. and the wild ones you know it's like that that whole thing that is you know kind of the look and the feel of 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 what eventually becomes punk you mm-hmm. know it's it's all about those teenage years that adolescence right. And Marlon Brando's certainly not a teenager in the wild <laughs> right. ones, right, but it's like but he's playing one right. Right? right and so uh you don't have to be a teenager to understand that that awakening, mm-hmm. you know, and that mm-hmm. that's that really is uh has a lot to do with the yeah. energy behind yeah. punk rock, yeah, it's like you're not really skilled yet, right. you know, but oh. you've got an attitude and you realize that things are not the way they've right. really been painted
0: yeah that's that's really an interesting point, the will and wish to speak. Express um, In a particular way and not yet having any actual skill or craft mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, right? That's
1: very much punk rock that
0: that's pretty perfect. Right? Yep, it yeah, it is okay the you know because you can as an adult you have periods in which you may have um, become awakened to certain uh, problems in life right and you know it changes your perspective and you're not a teenager anymore but you you get energized about the world around you, so this is a kind of punk attitude, even in your forties and fifties and sixties right mm-hmm. you can
1: You can still get woke that's right, that's right. We should always be reinventing ourselves right. Right. um right. and being honest with ourselves, and then also not being too hard on ourselves and seeing the world as <laughs> you know seeing you know not humor in situations where there's no humor but using humor to allow us to look deeply at, mm. directly at the issues mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: now the last uh, last on your list is a, a local band uh, mm-hmm. the cowboys uh, look on your face the look on your face mm. <laughs>
1: I put them on the list because there's a very long tradition of punk, you know, music, and aggressive music, and independent music, in Bloomington, Indiana, mm-hmm. which, you know, as Jim Mannion told me once, you know, goes all the way back to Hoagie Carmichael, mm-hmm. you know, so Hoagie Mar- Carmichael would, he'd put on these do-it-yourself shows, you know, he'd rent a space, put on a show, uh, mm-hmm. interracial band, mm-hmm. you know, and how that was really pushing the boundaries you know so this has been going on in Bloomington since then there's always been great bands inventive bands aggressive bands bands like the Gizmos the Panics the Walking Ruins John Wilkes Booze (laughs) were a great band um and the Cowboys are just one of the latest in that tradition. Gotcha. And they're a band that's on my list, not only because they're a great band and this is a great song, but also because they're getting some national attention.
0: Mm, okay. Let me ask real quickly, uh, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was trying to just think of sort of general questions about punk, right? Um, punk rock and the attitude. There's there's a sense for me that this is kind of a container that can be filled with most, th- with most anything you're angsty about or angry about or, um, you know, in any perspective in that sense. So, you, you know, I originally wanted to think of punk being a, partic- a particular politics or a particular perspective, but mm. it seems to me possible to be punk in any direction.
1: That is absolutely right. Yeah. I yeah. absolutely agree. Um, so to that, um, as long as you're expressing your truth – in the moment, and you're doing it in an aggressive way or a humorous way, then it's potentially punk. Mm-hmm. There are few right wing punk bands. There are there are neo Nazi punk bands. Mm-hmm. So it's not uh, necessarily uh, exclusively liberal politics. And mm-hmm. um, un- f- there's not. Any good neo-Nazi punk (laughs) bands. I don't know what that's about. Okay. But I do say that, like, look, if you're a conservative, if you think that the world is too liberal, Mm -hmm. get a guitar, turn it up to 11, and tell me about it.
0: I hear you. I hear you. One uh, conspicuous absence as I just tried to look through uh, some punk rock bands, uh, people of color. Uh, is there a particular like direction that, that punk bands don't didn't didn't translate in that space or am I missing some
1: no, that's, that's no that's a valid point. I would point to the bad brains. brains were a band from dc and that formed in probably 78 or something like Mm. that um probably the best absolutely definitely the best punk band i ever saw live Mm. bad bad brains bad brains Mm. yeah Um when I was uh touring when I was younger in the Zero Boys, that was that was the band to beat. I mean it was like nobody was better than the Bad the Brains. Bad Brains. <laughs> um then there was a band from Detroit called Death. They're mm-hmm. a proto band, a Proto Punk band from seventy five. They released some stuff. Extremely important. Oh, uh, I saw there was a documentary on yep, on that that's band. That's right. There's a oh. documentary on the Bad Brains as oh, okay, well. So okay. um and then there, you know, peppered throughout the scene there are definitely Uh, people of color, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, why there weren't more, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think that I don't think that there was within the punk scene that I was in, there was no feeling of exclusivity. You Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. there doesn't, it didn't seem like there was anything happening that would keep people of color out. I just don't know that it was promoted within their communities or they were aware of it so much
0: okay well I I did listen to one of uh, Death's songs I forgot the title of it already I think it's your politics something um, politics in my eyes yeah politicians in my eyes Mm -hmm. I really like that one yeah that's a
1: great great song yeah yeah
2: (laughs) I me mean, this game is where the kingdom of fame like a race at the top because they want to be boss, they don't care who they step on, as long as they get along, politicians in my eyes. They think get less about you, they think get less about me, as long as they have been in the place that they want to be, they're always wearing small I guess they go with the style. politicians in my eyes.
1: Heavily flu- influenced by the MC5. The MC5 were an anarchist band okay. in Detroit. You okay. know, at that time. Um,
0: hmm. Yeah, we played. Uh, we used one song on here. One of our feminist programs that we had. We used um, uh, blanking on the name, but it's uh, polystyrene. Was the lead singer? Uh-huh. Uh, she's like uh, part Somali, I think. Uh, uh-huh. Actually, um, um, bondage up, oh bondage yeah, up, yeah, up yeah, yours yeah, yeah, by yeah, X Ray yeah, Specs. Yeah, yeah, yeah that,
1: that's a very important. Uh, a song i think for for young feminists in the punk movement there's definitely um in my class i i take two sections where we look just at at women mm-hmm. in punk and there's there's women throughout all of the sections people like patty smith and mm-hmm. um and polystyrene and Susie Sue, there's, there's Mm -hmm. women throughout, Mm -hmm. but we do take, uh, two classes and we look specifically at women in punk. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did it like that was because the women punk rockers tend to be saying a, uh, different sort of things Mm -hmm. than, than the men. So there's, is more of a feminist attitude Mm -hmm. there. My, in, in my proto punk section, um, I teach the Leslie Gore song You Don't Own Me, mm-hmm. which I think is to me is is the ultimate proto-feminist mm-hmm. pop hit song. Right, right.
2: You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go with other boys. I'd never stay.
1: That is a punk song, gotcha. and that's very much the kind of um, song that you hear punk women singing. Gotcha. You know, it's kind of railing against you know the the patriarchy is, is very much right. in um, in in what the women are singing, and so there's there's a lot of those bands that I cover in those two sections. Mm. In particular, I cover the the Riot Girl movement, sure. which was a Pacific Northwest. Cool. And, Sounds Sing. fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a fun class.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank yeah.
0: Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thank you.
2: Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Oh, bondage! Up yours! One, two, three, four!
0: Well, that's that. Thank you, Paul Mayer for a great education. Paul is teaching a course this fall for Indiana University's Jacobs School of Music on punk rock music. Punk Rock 101 was brought to you for WFHB by interchange impresario Doug Storm, host, producer, editor, mixer, all done in his garage. Well, no, mostly in an old fire station in Bloomington, Indiana, and at his home in the bedroom with the dogs at his feet. Thanks for listening.